you are visiting, we have been working our way through Revelation for some time. We're in the midst of a few uh, interesting, challenging chapters, um, but the one thought that I've encouraged us to hold in mind all the way through this series is two simple words, Jesus wins. That's all that matters, Jesus wins. Um, so, uh, as keep that in mind as we read these verses through in Revelation 18 this morning. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen. I am not a widow and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of our burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, 
With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Loving God, as we think on this word together this morning, our hearts and minds are kind of stunned at what we've read and what we've pictured. And yet, Lord, this is your word, warning of a time to come. And so we pray that you would help us to give it due diligence and to think through it carefully and wisely and well and remember in the midst of it all that Jesus wins. Father God, may the uh, words of these lips, the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure we've all uh, experienced those times after uh, when something has happened and we felt like our world uh, has caved in on us. We've gone after pleasure. We've gone after possessions. Then something has happened, and that's caught us out. And so we weep, and we mourn. I remember my favorite car, a beautiful racing red Ford Escort gear, top of the range in the day. It even had a cassette player. It even had electric windows. Would you believe that car was my pride and my joy? 150,000 miles on the clock, and it still ran like a dream. That was my car. It was until I went outside of church one Sunday night and thought to myself, my car's not where I left it. And I went into Morag to say, where did I park the car? And she said, well, you parked it where you said you parked it under the light. And we went and looked closely and there was some smashed glass. And a few days later, after a chase around Livingston by three police cars, two 13-year-old boys, well, one of them was driving, one was in the passenger seat, drove my beautiful red Ford Escort gear, top of the range, my pride and my joy, off of the roads. And the insurance company took one look and said, it's a write-off. I was got it. My pride and my joy. Man, did I mourn the loss of that car. We get caught in our possessions sometimes though, don't we? We uh, have to watch out for that, friends. There are things in our lives, things that we uh, look forward to, the things that we get, things that we acquire, things that we crave, things that we are drawn to, and we just love them, but we need to watch that we become, don't become so entangled with them. It's too easy for us to get lured into the world, drawn in by the promise of pleasure and possessions. And we saw the danger of that with the great prostitute in chapter 17 and thought in her judgment. That was a judgment on the false world system and religion that had been established by the Antichrist. Here in chapter 18, we find the judgment of the great city. 
And this is a judgment on the uh, economic system of this new world religion and system. And again, we see the danger for those drawn in by uh, pleasure and by possession. For it will all crumble away in an instant and be destroyed. God is judging the world. For centuries, humanity has denied God and served idols. But he will judge their false religion at the end of the tribulation period. And this last bold judgment is poured out, as we saw in chapter 16 and verse 19, when God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. And so this morning we begin with judgment uh, pronounced. Verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. This angel stands in sharp contrast to the beauty and the beast that John has just witnessed in chapter 17. He is filled with light and glory. This angel comes to announce the condition and the condemnation of the world's economic system. Humanity will not only be deprived of the religion that they have created, but they will also suffer the loss of the wealth that they crave. Verse 2, with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. And the angel tells us that this will be a system energized and controlled by demons and evil spirits that will be utterly vile and corrupt. And we look at our world today and think sometimes that it can't get any worse. What this verse describes is a world that has literally gone to the devil. Things can get worse, and they will. And this city, Babylon, will be filled with evil overtaken by demons. But notice, just not just demons, there is drunkenness there too. Verse 3 for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. The entire world is smitten by her charms. They are drunk with her seduction. The world is held captive under her intoxicating spell. She offers them immorality and sin without fear of religious oppression, and they have bought into the lies of the beast. They have sold their souls for the ideals of wickedness. The desire for wealth and riches will take over. People will give everything they have to get their hands on all that they can get. And we see that today, don't we? We see that uh, with queues for lottery tickets and scratch cards. We see it in people wanting to uh, make a quick pound and to get rich quick. These end times will be a time of abundance to begin with. The love of money will control many in that day. But greed has always been a problem. And many will be unable to free themselves from their newfound wealth and addiction to acquire more and more and more. Friends, we must be careful now more than ever to watch what catches our eye and what we crave, what we lust after and long for. The world is drawn to Babylon, to the great prostitute, the great city. And yet here is the pronouncement that God has had enough, that the end is coming, fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. 
So at this point, John hears another voice, a different voice from heaven. And this is judgment avoided. It doesn't need to end this way. Here is a call for God's people to avoid being caught up in the wickedness of that hour. This angel calls for the people of God to reject this system and the sins of this system. Verse 4, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Come out of her, my people, so you will not share in her sins, so you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. This is a call for God's people to disentangle themselves from this evil world system. This is a call to disassociate themselves from the evil system of idolatry and luxury and violence. This is a call to separate. And the call to separate has been around as, as long as time a call right through Scripture. We all remember God calling Abraham to found the Jewish nation and to separate himself from the heathen around. We find the call in Isaiah 52, 11 and 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. And that same call was given to the Jewish people before the destruction of ancient Babylon in Jeremiah 51, 6, where it says, flee from Babylon, run for your lives, do not be destroyed because of her sins. God expects his people to come out of this world system and to be different. He expects us to be motivated by a different set of values. Friends, are you different? Are you motivated by a love for God rather than a love for pleasure and possessions and pride? Choosing God over all the world offers is the best choice now and for all eternity. And listen carefully here. We will never win the world by being like the world. Too many churches, too many Christians down through these recent times have tried to fit in with the ways of the world it does not work. It might look like it for a day or two, a week or two, a year or two even, but as we've seen with some of the, the, the big well-known pastors and big fancy churches in the States, it all comes crumbling down around their ears because it's built on the wrong foundation. Friends, we are called to be different, and we will impact this world more because of our difference. We will impact this world more when we separate from their ways and allow them to see Jesus living through our lives. So stand out. Be different. Don't be afraid to be different. We must also see here, though, that if we stand out and separate ourselves from the world, then we will not receive her punishments. That's a good side to this. Her sins have been stacked up, and boy, are they great. Babylon's sins, it says, will be piled high like a new tower of Babel. But unlike that ancient tower, her sins will be as high as heaven. And God will remember her iniquities, and there'll be no forgiveness for this devious, defiant, unrepentant city. Which is why we then find here judgment defined. Her sins are stacked up. And we read at the end of verse 5 that God has remembered her crimes. The Lord's sentence is passed on the Babylonian economic system, and we see that in three ways. It begins with her reward. Uh, here's what she is due. Verse 6, give back to her what she has given. 
pay her back double for what she has done, mix her a double portion from her own cup. That word give back or reward means to pay a debt to return that which is due. Most of the time we think on reward in a positive manner, but Babylon's reward will be anything but pleasant. She's committed great sin, indulging herself in all manner of excess, and God is about to reward her twofold for her actions. She has brought about the suffering and destruction of many saints of God. She has stood in defiance of all that is holy and true, and her sins are not, have not gone unnoticed, and they will not go unpunished. The Lord is about to repay a double portion for all her wickedness. And there's wisdom to be learned in these verses. Sin that isn't forgiven must be paid, and the price is very heavy. Those who indulge in sin, defying the holiness of God, will one day reap the reward. God keeps a record for the just and the unjust. In Galatians 6, uh, a few chapters later than Stuart's going to be sharing from tonight, Galatians 6 and 7, it says, A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It may appear as if Satan in this world have gained the upper hand and are getting by with sin, but God promises a reward for them. Verse 7 speaks of her reputation. Give her... uh, as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I'm not a widow, I will never uh, mourn. Here we find the attitude of the Babylonian philosophy. It stands in arrogant defiance to the Lord. She's glorified herself, elevating herself to a level reserved for God. She's lived a life of indulgence, of excess, seeing herself as a queen worthy of the pleasures she has enjoyed, even at the expense of others. She's rejected the idea that anyone could remove her prosperity. God hates her pride and her defiant stand. Proverbs 16, 18 says, remember it, don't we? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then we see her ruin in verse 8. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. She's enjoyed a season of uh, great abundance. Her sinful heart has been filled many days with the pleasures of life, but it's all coming to a destructive end. The abundant pleasures will cease in a moment of time. God has had his fill of Babylon in the philosophy that she promotes. It says in one day, in one day, but actually if you read on into some of those verses, notice that it is only one hour. Verse 10, in one hour your doom has come. Verse 17, in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Verse 19, in one hour she has been brought to ruin. Much of his wrath had been seasoned with mercy, but her ruin now will be swift. God will bring plagues and death and mourning and famine resulting in the destruction of this city. Upon her demise, she will be burned with fire and the wrath of God has been sent and his strong arm will bring destruction. Friends, we ought 
to be aware of this. It's hard to read. It's difficult to think on. But we ought to be aware of it, and we ought to flee now and run into the loving arms of the Savior. There is still time. Don't delay. And you would think that all this might make the people sit up and take notice, to take notice of their sin, perhaps even to cry out, woe is me on account of sin. But no, what we see here is judgment lamented. They won't cry over their sin, but they'll cry over the loss of their city. They won't mourn over their iniquity, though God gave them ample opportunity, and God warned them, and He warned them, and He warned them in these judgments that have just been raining down on them for all these years, but still they will not respond to that. But when their city goes, when the very center of everything they have craved and lusted over and enjoyed has fallen, when they realize their wealth and power is gone, boy, do they lament, and boy, do they cry out, woe, woe, oh, great city. And I want us to notice, though, just how different groups react to that fall of Babylon here, because we see some lamenting and then some rejoicing. In verses 9 and 10, we see the response of the monarchs, the kings of the earth, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Keep in mind that the nations of the world have surrendered their sovereignty to the authority of the Antichrist. They've put all their eggs into one basket, and they've looked to him to provide economic stability for the entire world. These have been the best of times. World leaders have lived in a season of prominence, of popularity. Their approval ratings have gone through the roof. The world is under the illusion that this newfound government has found the solution for all the world's problems. But in a moment of time, in the span of a day, in an hour, all of their hopes and aspirations come crashing down. And all they can do is weep and mourn. They mourn as if lamenting the loss of a loved one. All they can do is cry out, woe, woe, oh great city. And notice in verse 10 that they do that from afar. They stand back, afraid now to go near this great city from where they've got all their wealth and popularity and everything else. They stand back afar in case they come under the same judgment. Well, they have and they are. Then we see the response of the merchants in verse 11. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. The collapse, the, the collapse of the global economy will cause the ruin of free trade and enterprise. During the tribulation, uh, businessmen and women, entrepreneurs will enjoy a season of unmatched prosperity. These will be days of great excess in the business world. But as the market collapses, these folks will mourn the loss of Babylon. She has been the track for which their economic machines have run. There'll be no money to purchase any of their goods. The goods that brought them wealth have been reduced to worthless merchandise. And the Bible lists some 30 items there that will be affected by the global collapse. But in them, we see the utter desolation of the economic enterprise. The luxuries of life will be unavailable. The necessities of life will be unobtainable. The exotic uh, items we lust after will be taken away. And the first to go will be gold. And notice that the very last to go will be the souls of men. Then see the response of the mariners 
in verse 19. They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe, O great city. And the seas are also an avenue of great wealth. However, those who sailed the seas carrying the goods that supplied the lustful appetites of a world enslaved to the grip of prosperity are also found in mourning. They had enjoyed times of abundance. But as their ships neared the port, the source of their affection lay in ruin with smoke filling the horizon. Their world revolved around the prosperity of their business, and it's been removed. It is dangerous to place material gain and possessions on a level reserved for God. But in the midst of that lamenting, just see a contrast. Because we see the response of the multitudes of heaven in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. We've all sat and thought, haven't we? Why don't they get what they deserve? And we see the world getting away with their sin again and again and again. Well, that day is coming to an end. The heavens rejoice over the judgment of Babylon. Those who have suffered under the philosophy of those who denied the Lord have been vindicated by the Lord God Almighty. Their cries for strength and divine intervention have not gone unheard or unanswered. We may live in a world where believers are oppressed and persecuted, but God keeps a record and he will reward according to that which we deserve. Babylon deserved judgment, and that is what she got, what she will get. I pray, though, that God would give us a heart for our cities today, for our neighborhoods. May we weep over Sterling as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. May we weep over Cornton and pray for the people of this community that they might come to know Jesus while they can. And may we get out there and demonstrate God's love in action. May we share the good news of the gospel with them now while they can hear it. And while there's an opportunity to respond. Judgment was pronounced. It was avoided. It has been defined and lamented. And now as we draw towards the end, judgment completed. The tribulation is drawing to a close. God is about to bring utter destruction to the city of Babylon. Verse 21, a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea. I always get the picture of uh, the world's strongest man here. I don't know if you ever watched that. And they, they had the stones of different sizes where they had to pick them up and lay them on top of the pedestals. And I've got this picture here of that, this angel with his biggest boulder possible. And he just lifts it with ease and just drops it on the city. A millstone was a huge round stone used to grind grain. A typical millstone was around four to five uh, feet in diameter, about a foot thick. A stone of that nature would sink to the bottom of the sea and it would not float back to the surface. Just as swift and sure as the millstone sank, so shall the destruction of Babylon become. And this stone is used to illustrate the judgment that's coming upon Babylon. Babylon will be destroyed, and it will not rise to power ever again. So severe is God's judgment 
that the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again, it says in verse 21. Not only that, but that phrase, never to be, is found another few times here, showing that there'll be no more happiness, no more honor, no more hope. There'll be no more happiness. Verse 22, the music will never be heard in you again. Music makes us happy most of the time, depending on what kind of music you listen to right enough, I suppose. But most of the time, music makes us happy. But in this day, there's going to be no music showing the distress, the, uh, the, the pain, the somber mood of this day. The reality of their fate has begun to set in, and despair fills people's souls. There'll be no more honor. No workman, it says there in the middle of verse 22, no workman of any trade will ever be found in you. Again, people have always been industrious. People have always wanted to work, figuring ways out uh, to do things better and bigger and, and brighter, to bring hope for the future. But here there's no more hope. No more workmen of any trade to be found around the place. No hope for any future endeavors. No honor that comes from having this business and these great ideas. The ambitions, the dreams, all gone. And that's the end point. There's no more hope. Verse 23, the light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you Again, what a graphic picture of the wrath of God. The light will go out. The warmth and security of light will be removed. People will be in utter darkness, despair, separated from the mercies of God. There'll be no joy. Weddings always bring joy, don't they? Whenever you go to a wedding, there's always joy. There's, there's delight. There's happiness. But that's all going to be extinguished. The joy and hope of weddings will be extinguished. When Babylon falls, there'll be no more love, no more marriage, no more hope for the future sounds of life will cease to exist in any forum when God destroys Babylon. And just in case we think, what's this all about? We finish with judgment justified. Why will all this happen? Why will God judge the world and the people left in the world? Because of corrupt leadership because of worldwide sorcery and deception, because of the massacre of the saints, God says enough is enough. This world system we've been speaking of these last few times out is deceptive and it's deadly. Look at the second half of verse 23. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. People were led to believe that Salvation was in achieving riches and success. That's the lie of the devil. It's better to have none of the world's goods than for the world's goods to have you. You thought about that before? It's, it's better to have none of the world's goods than for them to have you. Verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. The Babylonian system has been responsible for all the deaths, for the deaths of many of God's precious people down through the ages. In fact, most of the faithful martyrs that have been killed have been sacrificed on the altar of power and profit. They've been, they have slain the blood of many saints of God to ensure their continued success, and they stand now before God, accountable for their actions. Where is this world headed? It's headed to this. It's headed to judgment. And when judgment falls, it falls first of all on the city 
And then as we read in this chapter, as we read in chapter 16, uh, on the whole world system, as God totally restructures the earth, every island will disappear, the mountains will be flattened out, 100-pound hailstones crush the life out of people, and then Jesus comes, and he destroys the armies uh, of the world, the Armageddon, and he sets up his eternal kingdom. That's where this is all going. But listen. We need not worry about that. If we come and put our trust and our faith now in Jesus Christ, we will be saved from all of this. The cry of verse 4 is for us today. Come out. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. You might be tired of me saying this, but I simply want to make sure that uh, everyone has every opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel while they can. There is a day coming when it will be too late. Friends, the world tries to lure you in with pleasure and with possessions, but that enjoyment will only be temporary. In order to find life in all of its fullness, we have to come to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Have you done that? Have you done that? If so, then rejoice in your salvation today and praise your Savior and get out there and tell the world the good news before it's too late for them. Do you need to do that today? Then come to Jesus right now in repentance and in faith. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that you give us every opportunity to hear and to respond to the gospel. And so, Lord, we will pray today for any who have not yet taken that step for any today who have not recognized their sin and their need for a Savior. And Lord, we pray that today they might do that and turn to Jesus, that they might run into his loving, saving arms. Father God, we pray that they would have the courage and the boldness to stand out from the world around, to stand out from all that the world tries to tell them is important. And Lord, that they would come to know Jesus. Father God, for those of us who do know you, we rejoice today in our salvation. Lord, we rejoice that we will be saved from all that this is to come because we will be with you in glory. But Lord, it breaks our hearts to think on how it's all going to end because Lord, we all know people who don't know Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh boldness and courage today to go and to share the good news with them, to go and to point them to the Savior, to go and to remind them of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us a boldness and courage to go and to tell the world. Father God, may this word today remain in our minds. We pray that if there's anything of man, it will disappear and be left to the side, but only that which is of you would remain we pray that you would help us to think through this word carefully and that you would help us to apply it to our lives individually and collectively. And we pray, Lord, that everything will be done for your glory. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song together that reminds us that God so loved the world. 
a reminder that we're called to go and to proclaim that good news, to shout it out to the world around that they might come to the Savior of the world. As we sing, we prepare our hearts for meeting around the Lord's table.